Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writer's Block Podcast, where we talk to professional comedy writers and get all up in their business, their professional business, and their personal business, just, you know, their business. We make it our business. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. Tonight's episode brought to you by Scissors. Go ahead, run with them. I'm very excited about this episode, Blockheads. I'm sorry it took me so long to put this together, but I finally did it. My first guest from the Colbert Report. Woo! Crowd goes wild. And it's a good one. It's head writer Opus Moreski, who, in my opinion, is in a dead heat with Armando Iannucci for the best name in comedy writing. Opus and I talk about winning Emmy Awards, which is great fun. And to balance things out, we also talk about losing at the Emmys, which is not nearly as fun. We both agree on that. Opus tells me why he thinks job interviews are like first dates, especially when you go in for that kiss at the end, I suppose. We talk about early influences and the unique manner in which comedy first found its way into Opus's ear holes. He recalls his first paid gig, which it turns out was selling jokes to Craig Kilborn. What? What? That's an odd thing for us to have in common. And of course, we talk about the Colbert Report. Among other topics, how they put together an original segment by looking past the surface of seemingly ridiculous stories. Well, there's one called Thought for Food that uh, that myself and Peter Gross did the first one of, and I don't think either of us named it, but we sort of realized that there is an opportunity. Um, and it sort of surrounds, all of our segments sort of, at some point should be talking about something more than just something silly food that came out. And I think the first one we did for Thought for Food was around the time of the uh, double down sandwich of like two yeah. two uh, pieces of chicken instead of bread, which yeah. seems so quaint now. Like it seems like <laughs> a simpler time. Why can't we go back? When that was all we had. Um, but there was also, I believe in that first one, um, a kitty litter uh, that was made out of corn. Like and... And it all sort of tied into this idea that we have so much corn in this country, and, and you think about the amount of people that are, would love to have some corn in the world. Instead, we're like, hey, you know what? We could have our cats crap in this instead. <laughs> we could ship it off <laughs> to some starving people, or, or you know, put in a box and have some cats crap in it. That would be fine. In other words, when the news gives you cat litter, you make comedy cat litter. I, I think that's right. It totally sounds right. We also get into the differences between John and Steven's characters and what that allows them each to get away with or not get away with. And finally, Opus and I discuss what we believe are the similarities and differences between the way the Colbert Report and The Daily Show approach and construct our material. You've been asking for this for a while, Blockheads, and I went and got it for you. This is episode 30. My guest is Opus Moreski. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's block now. Good choice. Should be working. So the uh, intimacy is key here, Opus. Okay. Yes. So we can the closer the closer we get, and this is really my way of luring you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> it really is. Like this is how I did it with the girls in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a podcast. I don't yeah. know what any of those things are. <laughs> Back in yeah, in eighty in yeah. eighty eighty one, I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to come over to my garage and do my podcast? <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's strange. Why are you talking to me like this? <laughs> This is uh, uh, this is very exciting. This is a long time coming, and I'm very happy that uh, uh, that it is it is it is happening. This is Writer's Block Podcast. I'm J.R. Havlin, your host, and I'm here with. Correct me if I'm wrong about this. 
Emmy Award winning. Yeah. Yes. For best right. Do you get one for show as well? You produce it? No, I'm not a producer. I I know. Oh, poor me. Oh, Oh, God. Damn damn Purcell. I just got that one Emmy. That's just, it's (laughs) like, it's a tragedy, really. For best writing and best show. Stolen. Yes. Uh, Yeah, the, the streak was broken. You've won, I think, uh, uh, Colbert's won three times for writing. For writing, yeah. 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 And during our stretch, we had a long stretch for show, but we had, you know, and within that, we had a pretty good stretch for writing, but yeah. we lost to SNL and Conan and you guys three times. Yeah. And I think uh, of the times that we've won, I've missed three of them for various <laughs> reasons. Uh-huh. One was 9-11. Pretty yeah. good reason to stay That's home. A, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, one was I got food poisoning the night before. Okay. Uh, one was because we went to, it, it was at the technical Emmys that year and I didn't have a chance to go out. Yeah. yeah. And yet I've been there every time we've lost. <laughs> <laughs> and That's probably the best way to do it because it keeps you somewhat humble. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, the first time the show uh, won, I was, uh, it, it was like, it was like my third week it was 2008. It was like my like third or fourth week there. I just moved from Los Angeles to New York, met all these people, and then suddenly they're like, hey, you want to go to Los Angeles with us and go to the Emmys? Uh, and I was, of course, not nominated at that point. I was just this new guy. very. And then I go there, and then they're all up on stage jumping up and down, and I'm in the audience with the... You know, the wives and girlfriends and boyfriends going, hey, yay. Yay, <laughs> seed filler. The what is happening to my, like, I was unemployed a month ago. But now you're there and you get to celebrate with In everybody. In a tux, yeah. I'm yeah. celebrating. It was a very strange experience. How, so you came, like, that's the way they operate. You have to be there at a certain time during the year yeah, in order yeah. to get to it. I'm not sure what that cutoff is. But... Yeah, it's sometime like in early summer and I came in the middle of summer. So they already submitted the show that they were nominated for and everything. So I didn't, I was just thrilled to be. Part yeah. of it, so I didn't care. I was just yay. Right. And when what year was that? Two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight. That's yeah. when you came in. Yeah. Um, you have uh, uh, one thing. Let's uh, let's get to uh, know Opus Moreski here okay. a little bit, just a little bit, because sure. I, I think it's interesting. Obviously, you have a unique name. Yeah. Uh, I've never even heard the Moreski part, let alone what what is that? Moreski is Italian. Italian. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Sure. There's a apparently there's a leather goods shop somewhere in Fifth Avenue called Moreski Italian Leather, and you can get a belt for like seven hundred dollars. Oh really? I can. You can. Should we go I, now? I, sure. <laughs> yeah. You the, can get me a belt for seven hundred dollars. I spend there. all my money on belts. That's yeah, me too. Boy. And Opus is uh, not your given name. No, it was no. like a it's like a camp nickname. Yeah, this is uh, was uh, this is something on. you discussed on the uh, uh, beginnings show, and I thought it was yeah. a fun story. Why don't you, can you tell me that? Sure, it's, I could tell. Yeah, how you get a name like that that sticks throughout your life? Well, I, I just uh, you know uh, you know those you know the, <laughs> you probably do since you're a comedy writer those those kids who are allergic to like a lot of everything like just have allergies. Uh-huh. I was one. I'm of also the, a parent, so yeah, yes, okay, I know that so we, you know. I know what we can't put yeah. in his lunch bag, which is pretty much everything. <laughs> I I was uh, I was pretty good. I had a couple of things, and one of them was uh, Scotch Guard, which is the the stain resistant material that they <laughs> That's put on. That's what you were allergic to. Yeah, I don't know. If I t- if I touched it and then touched my face, I'd get all puffy and red and. Strange. I think almost anybody might if you touch Scotch Guard, but, but it's but it's on it's, like everything. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, I guess. So, I've yeah. grown out of that since. Uh, oh, and it and there's a very good possibility that it's just something my parents made up because you know, they're they're they're. Mercury. They were slowly poisoning you yeah. with something <laughs> yes, else. Yes, Claiming, yes. yes. <laughs> They're like, oh boy, that's Scotchgard again. It's really getting you. Mm, have some more arsenic cocoa. <laughs> um, no, it was a Scotchgard. And so I went to camp, uh, went to summer camp every year. Uh, and uh, and in the summer camp, they had this, you know, you're in the yellow group. Everyone gets yellow t-shirts on the first day. Or the blue group or the green group. Uh, very, they didn't, they didn't uh, shoot very high with their creative groupings. <laughs> that's it, um, yeah. 
But uh, I was in uh, the yellow group, or whatever. But I also had a note from my dad saying that uh, because I was allergic to the Scotch Guard, which was in the T-shirts to make them stain resistant, I was not allowed to wear the T-shirts until they had been washed three times. Um, and so I was the only kid in this camp of a couple thousand kids that wasn't wearing a camp T-shirt. I just had this Bloom County, the, the, the comic strip. I just had this T-shirt with Opus the Penguin, and it just said Opus on it. And so out of thousands of kids with their camp t-shirts, I was the guy who was with the weird t-shirt and people started calling me that. And I was like, I kind of dig it. So yeah. I, I encouraged it and cultivated um, it. And were they teasing you or did, was it just like, hey, hey, it's Opus? Uh, <laughs> I think, it, I, you know, it, I, I may have uh, misread it. I thought it was a fun, <laughs> I thought it was a fun thing. I thought oh, like, no, hey, I'm bringing you back to a terrible time. Oh, God, wait a oh, second. Oh, you're relieving all these. Oh, relieving. wait, uh, hold on. Those weren't honor swirlies. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> they they didn't really. My my underwear wasn't actually a flag. <laughs> no, damn. damn. Hey, hold on a second. There's oh, no such thing. Opus is slowly falling oh, apart right boy, here, yeah. live on the podcast. Well, that's how you're gonna get the Emmy next year. You got a terrorist. Yeah, that's what this is one all about. One. <laughs> gonna get you all you guys in yeah. here and make you feel like really self conscious about everything you do. Yeah, I would like to. I would like to say though the um. The, uh, the the gift that you guys sent over when, after we won was, yeah. the, was the best possible. We, we have sort of a tradition, I guess, back yeah. and forth. But when you guys win, we send you little gifts. When we win, uh, you've sent us gifts. And this year, it was a big box. Do, do, would you like to describe it? It's, it's your... Uh, no, no, please. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. It's a big box that said uh, to Haiti on it. And a, and a little letter inside from The Daily Show saying, we're not going to need these t-shirts. And the t-shirts said, uh, uh, Daily Show, 10-time winners, the three-peat best writing. Yeah, it was 11, uh, yeah 11 times, because they had won best show yeah, 10 years times. in a row. Yeah. And then and we'd won t the last two years for writing. For writing. And so the conceit was that it was one of the championship yeah, t-shirts like that Bowl gets shipped losers. overseas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super yeah. Bowl losers. And it said 11 time, record 11 time yeah. winning best show, three-peat writing oh, we were the best. Those. And it was crossed out and sent to Haiti. Yeah, we love those. Those were, those were very funny. Yeah, the, uh, um, I, in, the, in the past, uh, uh, just to give you an idea of how this uh, operation works, we, we've gotten from you guys a box of DVDs. Yeah. Uh, the note was, uh, um, congratulations, uh, continued good work, very mm -hmm. sincere kind of thing. Here are some uh, DVDs to, to help you stay in uh, the mood to mm -hmm. create such fine comedy. And it was like Sophie's Choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there may have been the some, accused. Yeah, just all... yeah. Just, just, there may have been some Holocaust dramas in there. I'm not sure. can't remember exactly what we chose. But we and one around. Holocaust comedy, which is really a yeah. Holocaust drama. But the day the clown cried, who know how we got the copy of it, but we got yeah, it. Uh, Somebody's uh, got to have it. Yeah. You were talking about a few other jobs that you had, so yeah. I think it's always interesting the you know the coming up of a comedy writer. What what was it early on that influenced you? Uh, made you think you could become a comedy writer? Was I mean you were already like you had an Opus T-shirt when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean I was a comedy nerd from the from the get go, yeah. and uh, I was I was thinking about this recently because when I interviewed at at Colbert, I nor normally and, and maybe this is your experience. I feel like interviews are a little bit like kind of you know, kind of first date, like getting to know you kind of thing. Like, hey, so tell me about yourself. All right, that's cool. Here's what I'm doing. And it's very kind of casual and like jokey. And the for the interview for, for Colbert was like, so tell me about yourself. And I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you really about a lot of stuff about me. And I walked away, like not knowing what the hell happened. Because I was like, it was a genuinely kind Who of... Who were you interviewing with? A couple of it people? Was, well, it was with Stephen and uh, yeah, and uh, Allison Silverman, who was the okay. second producer at the time. And Rich Dom and Tom Purcell, who was the head writer at the time. But one of the things I remember uh, I, I talked about was that 
when my parents were divorced and my stepfather was in the military. So I kind of ended up moving far away, different places and going back and forth on the airplane and listening to, there's always like 12 channels, one of which is a comedy channel. And this is back when the airplane uh, rate, like you didn't have your iPod or your, even your Walkman, I think. Uh, you just had the tubes that stuck into the armrest. Uh -huh. Remember, like, they didn't actually have speakers in the in the earphones. They just, like, tubes that went from the armrest into your ears. Yeah. Remember those? <laughs> yeah, I do. So I would spend, like, you know, I would go back and forth four times a year and spend a lot of time listening to, like, that little comedy channel with, like, Bill Cosby and, and you know, uh, you know old kind of, you know. The As a kid. The, yeah, yeah. You're safer uh, George Carlin's and, you know, whatever. They just had lots of clips of stand-up, and it just, it for some reason, was, like, a very comforting thing for me as I kind of had this fairly weird existence that and that was your introduction that's like so, you know yeah. it's, it's funny i had the um the last episode was trayvon free yeah yeah and he was talking about having found his mother's comedy albums when he yeah. was like 12 or 13 richard pryor and mm. and bill cosby and yeah, all these yeah, things yeah. and that influences you later yeah you uh listen to stand up on the, on the airplane, airplane radio yeah the airplane radio tube headsets <laughs> right uh so uh, I guess yeah, yeah, I guess I was always sort of a bit of a comedy nerd, and like, um, like early, like you know, watching you know Carson, and then like obviously Letterman and twelve thirty Letterman was like right. massively yeah huge for me. But like I I wouldn't even say how old like, are you? How old am I now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. thirty eight. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, at the time I was well, I don't even know it must right have been yeah. like ten or twelve. But um, staying up late to watch Letterman. Yeah, sneaking downstairs yeah. at my dad's house and, and watching Letterman. And, yeah, but it wasn't until much later than I thought it was something I could actually do myself. I mean, it was definitely something I wanted to do, but it just seemed so rare, especially in that world where there was, like, literally two talk shows, like, late-night talk shows. Yeah. It was, like, a special thing. Yeah, yeah. It was it was this treat, and... Which is not to say that, you know, you can't find things and be creative and stuff sure. like that, but I never really thought of it that way, and it's, it's really so interesting that you would stumble on these things and finding them, finding that treasure was yeah. part of what made it so special and, and intrigued you and drew you to it. Yeah, I think it's somewhat more commodified now. I think, like, like I didn't know anybody else who was, who was a comedy nerd for a long time. Like, maybe maybe in my mid-teens, I met some kids at uh, camp who liked Monty Python, and we'd talk about that and stuff. Right. But, like, it was a long time that I was just, like, just me, like, oh, this is kind of my thing. I'd, like, I'd watch A&E, the cable A&E, because sometimes in between shows they do like little stand-up clips that they had grabbed from their yeah, A&E yeah. whatever and I'd be like oh I want to see stand-up and that was the only place I knew it but in between shows in A&E I would try and watch but have you done stand-up did you no I never really did I did you it a couple did. times yeah. in college just to try it out yeah uh, I wish I I wish I had done it more because um, but I just know to do it well you have to you have to do it you have to be committed to it like I don't want to be yeah you know, some Johnny come lately sort of you know uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like to do it well, I, I, I've already missed that opportunity. There you have it. He did it a couple of times in college just to try it out. In other words, Opus took the same approach to stand-up comedy that a lot of girls take to bisexuality. To each his or her own. Now let's get back to the podcast and find out how Opus moved on from experimenting in college to actually writing comedy for a living and how Alf, yes, the Alf you're thinking of, played a role in that. We're back now with Opus Moreski, head writer for the Colbert Report. I'm J.R. Havlin, host of Writer's Block Podcast. Thanks for being here and listening, blockheads. And you, Opus Moreski. Yes. It was a long chase. I feel like my, my courtship with you was a... No. Well, a worthy, <laughs> worthy courtship. I like to be a little coy. I yeah, like yeah. 
<laughs> well, also you were sending me. I'm just not hip enough to like get my direct messages on Twitter. I'm like, I, all I do is like check people what they say about you know Ben Affleck as Batman or whatever the thing of the day is, and then I I go home and I, that I didn't realize until like. I think like several weeks after you sent me this email that like there's a little thing with a little box. There's a number on it. What's that number, number for? It. Uh, and I thought it meant I was number one uh, on Twitter. And, I <laughs> and thought then that suddenly was I was number two and I'm going down. So like, I didn't want to wait, pay attention hold on. to it. I better check that. And it turns out I had messages from you. So I apologize. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, we were talking about um, early influences mm-hmm. and just I wanted to get into some of the other jobs. That, like uh, let's, let's talk about your first uh, paid gig as a comedy writer. Um, I was uh, the receptionist for uh, Craig Kilborn's CBS show. Um, oh, wow, okay. Which uh, was not... I remember that now. I remember. Yeah. I, I knew that. I knew yeah, that it's not point. a comedy, but the, the, the comedy writer part of that comes in, and, and um, I, I sort of got to know some of the writers there, and I began um, selling I, selling jokes for 75 bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, I had to go down to part-time because of the guild rules sort of thing, but it... it uh, it turns out that I could do that and, and make some money and not have to work full time and just write some jokes, which was my first paid gig. And then my first, but uh, Craig didn't really, uh, to him, and I kind of don't blame him. I was just a snotty kid, like riding my bike to work in LA, which is a bizarre thing. And uh, and the kid who answered the phone, so he never really wanted to hire me as a writer. So it wasn't until one of the other writers went uh, to Tom Green's show. That was, that was my first staff gig was on the Tom Green the new Tom Green show. One of the other writers went and kind of brought you along or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy, Gabe Abelson. Uh, yeah, I know Gabe. Yeah. Gableson. Gableson, sure, yeah. Um, if you're into the whole gravity thing. Um, I didn't know that Gabe worked at Kilborn though. For, for a brief time, yeah. I don't think it was, I don't think it was very long, but, um, but yeah, he was there for a bit, and then... So you're at Tom Green, which was... Was that sketch kind of thing? Was that, was, some... that, was a, that was a strip talk show. That was like yeah, a okay. five nights a week. This was after he had done like all of his... You know, all of the movies and So was and it the same setup, like monologue? Yeah, know, yeah. And he was remarkably good at... He he didn't... I think he was going to be good at, like, joke-telling straight up. Like, he was pretty... He was remarkably good at it when okay. he committed to it. Uh, and then, yeah, it was guests on a couch and a... You know, and the whole the whole shebang. It was very... It, it didn't last long. It lasted, I don't know, four or five months, but... But you had your gig. Yeah. You worked and, there. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and it was exciting to work a full-time gig and I, I was working with uh, some really talented people at uh, Frank Conniff. I don't know if you know who that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TV's Frank from MST3K. TV's Frank, yeah. So in those years after I was watching Letterman at 1230 and into my high school years, I was watching Mystery Science Theater nonstop yeah. every day when I got home from school. And and now you're working with yeah, that Yeah, now guy. it's like across the, de- like his desk faced mine. I would look up and be like, Frank, man, Frank. I made it. So, I mean, stuff like that was just, a, just this amazing there's like those those sorts of things in 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 the prof- professional whatever life that are just like wow this is happening man right yeah. and and then uh, you know that either keeps going or it doesn't but for you it kept going yeah that, but now that show gets canceled at yeah. one point you're sitting there working and you you find out that yeah. the show is canceled you're not going to be working there anymore yeah panic what happens there I mean sure it, sure panic I think it's... you don't have anything else lined up you didn't yeah. know whether or not it would get canceled. No, I mean, and it wasn't even like, I don't think it was even canceled, like on a, like, we just didn't get picked up kind of canceled. I think it was just summarily just like, chop, that's it. Just pull the plug, just like yeah. 30 Rock, like, shut it down. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And <laughs> I remember being like, okay, like, I just remember in my mind thinking like, but okay, so we have a few weeks and then we're done. And it was like, no, it's done. It was like, done. <laughs> like, it was like, come come back tomorrow and get your stuff, like, you know, But done. I just leased a car. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was pretty, pretty much over, and 
so I, I don't know. I, I bounced around a little bit and just tried to get whatever I could. And uh, so I, I was on different random cable shows. And through that, you know, through that whole thing, I met some writers and whatnot. And just did you have an agent um, at the time? Yeah, I've, I've gone through a couple of agents. The first one I went, but they by, were helping you get work. You had people helping you get work uh, after in theory. Yeah, yeah uh, right. They were right. not. There's what? Yeah, some connection, though. Some connections. Yeah. Uh, but mostly it was, you know, and, and I think in general, mostly it's like, oh, you know, some people and like, you can't, you can't just know people. You actually have to be good at what you do. But like at the same time, it does certainly help to like have a friend say, hey, I've heard that there's a thing over here. Yeah. And, Gabe yeah. Abelson brought you over to exactly. the yeah, yeah. Tom Green show, which gave you a credit and you meet some other people and you go to other yeah. places. But you, you know, I mean, it's hard to get those connections until you get a so job. Yeah, but then exactly. once you do, yeah, there's, there's definitely people in the business. Yeah tend to hire the same people it's tough like i i talk to interns and stuff at work and they want to know like well how do you do it what's the what's the path and i mean i guess the traditional path is like you get a you know a, a writer's assistant job which you get probably if you're a pa or whatever and then you can maybe get from that to be a writer but i don't know it's such a weird industry we're in like it's not like a thing where you go to pre-med and then you go to med school and then you do your residency it's right. like you just sort of keep doing whatever it is you're doing until finally someone lets you do it for money you put yourself in a position of desperation. Oh, absolutely! So yeah. much so that you'll yeah. do that you'll do almost anything. Do anything at all? Yeah. Oh, well, I've been there. That's for sure. You, uh, I, there was one that was amusing. I mentioned it on the uh, on my closing message for Trayvon's um, episode that uh, you worked on Alf's talk show. Yes, Alf's. <laughs> excuse me, Alf's hit talk show. <laughs> they were very being much. very bold in naming. Yeah, they that. were. They were uh, six episodes taped all in the course of two days. And this, this, oh, that was it. That was the whole thing. That was, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, gotta look that up. Is it available? It's there is. I think a couple of clips of it on the internet somewhere. And I remember seeing it. I, re yeah. I remember seeing it. And the, but I, I didn't realize. And it's really funny. You were saying the reason that it came into existence was because Alf was getting so much. Airtime on the one eight hundred collect, I think some sort of collect call phone calls, and people are like, "Well, hey," and and that's of, how you get a talk show. I think I I literally think, and I I could be wrong, and I have to look it up, but I literally think one of them was like structured as if like Alf's hosting a talk show, and he's asking his yeah, guest yeah, yeah, about one eight hundred collect. Yes, that's right, and, he was. And then they're like, "Well, that, that looks pretty good, uh, you know." Let's there, that's a, yeah, that's a show. Yeah, that's a show. Sure. Uh, and after I got hired, I guess I guess Elf actually <laughs> guest hosted Tonight Show at one point. Oh, are you kidding? Yeah, I guess that's a thing. What? That um, was after the. That's after way, they way saw long. his skills. Yeah, though. No, well, this was way long time ago. This is when he was on the. This is what you know. His initial. Oh, the, oh, his initial okay. run. Really, Alf was a guest host of the Tonight I, yeah, Show. Yeah, with I'm Johnny Carson, sure. I imagine. Yeah, but in those times when he wasn't, you know, he'd have like sort of rotating guest hosts. Right. So then, so uh, it gets like Richard Lewis. Yeah. And uh, um, one and, night, and then, you know, and and Belzer, sure. and then Alf, and then Alf, yeah, uh, which t makes total sense. Yeah. So Alf does that one night. Mm -hmm. Somehow host the Tonight yeah, Show, somehow. which is hilarious. Then, and like, I love the idea that, like, between that night mm -hmm. and the night he finally got Alf's hit talk show, mm -hmm. he was just a like robe wearing, <laughs> like, pain in the ass to his agents. Yeah, just like, come on, you gotta give me some what work here. What the fuck are you even doing? What am I, I paying you yeah, for? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not paying us anything because you're not. <laughs> not because you're a puppet. Well, you're, yeah, yeah. Oh, we weren't allowed to talk about how he was a puppet. You weren't allowed to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, which I guess you can. it makes sense. You want to have like some sort of consistent reality. You don't want him to make, be cracking jokes about but it. But that was a, that, that that was was a thing. Like, that, it's early on. I was like making That was jokes. a directive. Like yeah. if, if you're talking to anybody about the show. Oh, no, Alf... just in internally in the show. Like if we're doing a monologue joke, the joke, you know, couldn't be about oh, okay. how Alf, um, you know, was being, was a puppet, you know. Somebody's or, got uh, his hand uh, in my ass. Yeah. Um, well, we did those jokes, but it was a whole other uh, <laughs> 
It didn't rule that out. Purely sexual. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, well, that's the thing is that the guy, Paul uh, Fusco, was very, very, like, he's very funny. Like, a guy that you'd like to hang out with around the office, and he was kind of, had a weird sense of humor and stuff. But, uh, unfortunately, that he had such a distinct idea of who, what the character was that, like, it would, it would be like, why don't you do some of that? And he's like, ah, no, Alf wouldn't say, Alf wouldn't say that. Oh, yeah, Alf yeah. Alf wouldn't say that. Oh, like the Alf character. The Alf character, yeah, yeah. So, you... Have these random jobs, you end up uh, getting a job at the uh, uh, at the Colbert Report. Did you know somebody over there? I mean, how how did that connection I happen? I did. Uh, I knew uh, Peter Gross, who was a staff writer, um, uh, who I worked with on the Naked Trucker and T Bones show. Um, but I had been close there a couple of times. I don't even know. You you'd uh, submitted before. Yeah, I submitted a grand total of five times. I think wow. before I got hired. Uh, but that includes the time I sat down when the show was announced. I just right. was a fan of Stevens from The Daily Show and from Strangers, and I sat down and wrote a packet of what I, like, from the press release of the show. Like, it's going to be a par- parody, you know, a pundit thing. And so I just sat down and wrote, like, five pages of stuff just right. in hopes that someone would read it. I don't think my agent ever sent it to anybody, but I uh-huh. count that as one of those. Yeah, sure, right. And yeah, and I'd sent in a few before and, and had some interviews, like phone interviews and stuff, and then finally, uh, finally wore them down. Then you nail it. Like and so you start as a writer. You're a writer for set three, four years mm-hmm. before you become head writer because people are just kind of moving. Yeah, up. people are moving up and out and. And, and uh, uh, did you did you have your eyes on that prize, or was there was was it uh, a surprise to you that they asked, or was there some sort of way that you you know politically went after that or anything? Um, I mean, the only way politically I went after it, which it does seem like some sort of like weird taboo, strangely, is I just said, "Hey, I'd like uh, to do this." Yeah, not even this. I just said, hey, I'd like to do more stuff, like, and which is weirdly just not something that I think in a lot of places, a lot of offices, like, it doesn't seem like you're allowed to say that. Yeah, you right. know, you're not allowed to actually communicate things on, like, a very basic level. You're supposed to sort of do... I want to be more responsible yeah. for, for the end product of my workplace. Yeah. Get out! It seems just like a weird, crazy... Like a uh, like cheat code thing that you can do in 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 life. So you made it clear to them that you would you 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 you're yeah. interested in the job. You knew somebody else was moving up. And... Uh, yeah, but before that, even I just you yeah, know okay. was just saying, hey, I'd love to do more stuff because I also realized that like you know, um, unlike some other shows where writers get more, you know, they sort of shepherd a, a piece along if it's theirs all the way to to the air. Um, we tend to write stuff and sort of hand it off to the production and and they produce it and you know and they're all very very good. But at the same time, you you sort of you say goodbye and you and you let it go and it seems like oh it'd be more fun to take it and run with it. So yeah. And what sort of pieces are you talking about? Because I mean, there's there's so much that happens in studio at the desk. Yeah, it's mostly that. I mean, we we do have field we have a field department um, who does a really good job. But yeah, but even that, like you know, you have to pick graphics, you have to get the video clips to look right, you have to sort of get the props to look. You know, there are a lot of elements, and there's a number of times that you're watching the the rehearsal and you're like, I, I wish I could sort of be a part of it more so I just but when you're when you're writing um and this is a different you know i did want to get into the difference between you know being a writer there and being a head writer there yeah. Even when you're when you're writing like say something like you write a joke that involves a graphic an over-the-shoulder graphic that is mm-hmm. just a, a mock-up or you know you guys do more actual setup shots of like yeah probably even staff people who are yeah. sitting there doing something like a big line of coke off of something yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. it is yeah but when you're writing you write that in, no? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you, you, you so you have control over that. But then what you're saying is 
then when they actually go ahead and shoot that, mm-hmm. you're not in on that. And you don't you're, see the yeah. final product and you're like, oh, I wish he would yeah, have had yeah. this over here and put that exactly, in his right yeah. hand instead. And it's not like a matter. It's not like they're doing doing it wrong. It's just you're you right. have a different sort of way to see it. Um, you're a control a, freak. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I just like to uh, pull the strings and, and watch people dance. No, <laughs> there's uh, nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, early on, I, yeah, I went and I, I, I talked about that. And then a little while later, I they asked me to sort of be sort of in charge of the super pack that we had created for the yeah. 2012. Which elections. is another thing that I love about the show, the how the Typhoon Relief thing that you yeah, did last yeah. week. I love the idea of setting up supportive, yeah. you know, real things. Mm-hmm. And yet always framed under the guise of some, like this was a competition with China. Yeah. So it always has to be like some selfish thing of Stevens. And yet the end result is quarter of a million, however much (laughs) more was raised after that. A quarter of a million, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, China only gave $100,000 because they've got some sort of island land dispute with the Philippines, uh, which is kind of a dick move, China. I mean, come on. Yeah, uh, right. and so yeah, we hundred thousand. Yeah, how do you announce that? I know, it's right? So it's fucking like, ridiculous. Well, there you go. It's a, a pittance. You know? Here, I have this in my pocket. Yeah, I will uh, scrape this uh, food off my shoes and and give it to you. Yeah. Uh, so we did a yeah, and it actually, from like the time that we thought of the idea and wrote the first draft of the script, just a day passed, and they had got so much crap about it that they pledged a lot more. Uh, but we were like. We're just going to go ahead and go on the air and say they had initially pledged $100,000. Let's beat that. Well, the funny thing is, too, that he's so aggressively, like, he goes after China so oh, aggressively. Yeah. Like, the the tone he can take with his character mm-hmm. is sometimes like, can you can you do that? Well, it's yeah. not me doing it. It's yeah. this Stephen, this crazy Stephen Colbert character. That's why I think we get we get sheltered in a way that you guys don't over at The Daily Show. Because uh, to, to criticize means you have to sort of, like, deconstruct the weird game that we're playing. So I think it's hard for people on either end of the spectrum, but, you know, often on the right, to say, all right, so he said this, but really meant this, and it's really inappropriate because if you read between the lines of what he said, it wasn't really what he meant. Uh, it's hard to criticize that, as opposed to what you guys do, where it's John, and he comes out and says whatever, like right. Chicago well, deep well, dish pizza you know, I mean, crap. Yeah, but I, I think one mistake that, uh, um, that critics and just people in general make is the idea that uh, um, okay, Stephen's Care is obviously Stephen yeah. Colbert on camera is far more of a character than John Stewart on camera. Yeah. But John Stewart on camera is a also character. a character. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, it's just not as clear, and he's not necess- and it's not so outrageous. Not the opposite guy of who yeah. it is, and so yeah, it is much harder for him to get away with uh, with certain things, yeah. or much harder for him to brush them off as like I don't it, think you get it, and yeah. in order for you to get it, it's gonna blow you. <laughs> you know what I mean which yeah. it kind of does it's hard yeah. to, it's easier to deconstruct the Daily Show than it is to deconstruct sure. yeah. the uh, uh, the Colbert Report because even it's if so it's later. not yeah even if it's not like yeah exactly what the you know what he's saying is what he's saying it's still like in the ballpark you don't have that sort of straw man of a character as much we have that in our correspondence yes. a lot of the times yes. which is where Stephen came from exactly. and which was where a lot of his character was, uh, was developed in fact yeah. do you know the story do you know Chris Regan I don't um, he was a writer on The Daily Show. I don't know if you know the story about how the Colbert Report came about. The promos? Yeah. The, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to find them and post them on the website. But uh, um, it was really just Bill uh, Bill O'Reilly had, this was years and years ago, Bill O'Reilly had these new promos that mm-hmm. he came out with. And they literally were not far <laughs> off from the opening of The Colbert Report. Yeah. I mean, eagles flying around, flags, mm-hmm. him like posing, saying ridiculous things. Yeah. 
and it was Regan's pitch to like, let's do one of these, let's just mock this promo with Steven. And we did it once. John threw mm-hmm. it as an, as a bump out. Mm-hmm. I think we literally only did it once. Yeah. And then it was two or three <laughs> years later when they said, Oh, we're going to do a Col- They're going to do a Colbert report spinoff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking like, I get that. That would be funny. <laughs> I like the idea of yeah. like an opinionated, mm-hmm. you know, the opinion hour. Yeah. And he's going to be kind of like uh, O'Reilly. But my first thought was literally like, how do you do the interviews? I don't get that. How is he going to pull that off? And yet you do. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I think a lot of it has to do with he talks to them ahead of time, maybe to tell them like, hey, I'm going to be kind of yes. a weirdo. But it's also there's a lot of scripted stuff in there. That must be a, a lot of work for you guys. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. We write a lot of material for those interviews. And it took me a couple of years to realize that uh, obviously there are jokes and things from within. Um, and he is this crazy ninja of of taking a bunch of those, internalizing them, and then having them at the ready for what the conversation goes to this path or that path or whatever. Yeah. But the best interviews are the ones in which, uh, and it's hard as a writer to say this, don't have any of the written material because it's just Stephen genuinely, even though he's in character, genuinely having a conversation with this other person and, and enjoying it. Um, the ones where he's going to the jokes that we've written a lot more are the ones where the, you know, the, the interview, we may not be giving him as much stuff back and forth. You can, you can sense it if you have the eye yes. of like, you know, like I, I can, uh, I'll watch the show and I'll say, Oh, that, that question was written for him without, yeah. w- without a doubt. And then there are plenty of other times where I'm like, I wonder if that question was written for him you yeah. know, because it comes off too quickly. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a secret with John as well. We write stuff for him, but he, uses it so sparingly because yeah. it's a totally different thing in the first place. That's John really just being himself. Sure. Um, so he just, he just has a couple of little go-to jokes that, that, uh, will write for him. Mm-hmm. And then he comes up with the rest of the stuff, but yeah. it seems like way, way, way more important for Steven to have an abundance yes. of, of information and, and, uh, and funny ways to ask certain questions. The yeah. Santorum one as an example, uh, Steve McQueen, there were some great, mm-hmm. great, obviously written questions in there, but yeah. still really good. Like, I feel like with McQueen, the uh, who directed uh, uh, 12 Years a Slave, there was a whole line of questioning in there where you went after him because the guy that wrote 12 Years a Slave was not getting any money yeah, from the yeah. movie. That had to be discussed ahead of time. Yeah, we did talk about yeah. that at our morning meeting a little bit. And, like, you know, so yeah, there are things that come up. And, and, uh, but the, the most, the, I guess, the best possible way you can pre write something like that is to hit on something like that that's clearly a, a rich vein that he can just kind of travel down on his own. Like, you get this game, and you're like, all right, wouldn't it be fun to talk to him about how it seems like he's in this position of of abusing, you know, this this ex-slave who had written an autobiography, and he's getting no money because it was, you know, 100 years ago? Um, and then from that, Stephen can just kind of take that ball and just run down the field with it, right. uh, if that's a sports metaphor that makes sense. It, it may or may not. Yeah, no, and it's it not being a show where... Um, a comedy writer speaks to another comedy writer. Yeah. Um, Neither of us Sports know. metaphors are yeah. rampant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. all I get here. It's, it's yeah. hard to, hard to bring it down. I was kind of hoping I would get away from that. Hey, what can I say? I'm a, I'm a real grand slam. <laughs> That's how you describe a good sportsman. Sportsman. Yeah. We'll be right back with Opus Moreski. <laughs> Here it is, mini break number two. Big announcement, Writer's Block has been asked to participate in the NYC PodFest 2014. 
Very exciting. I'll be taping a live episode on Saturday, January 11th at Fontana's in New York City. Mark your calendars. Better yet, go to nycpodfest.squarespace.com for all the info you need and to get your tickets now. Come down and check it out. The first three people to come up and say hi to me get to come up and say hi to me. The rest of you will just have to think of something else to say. Until then, follow us on Twitter, at WritersBlockPod. Follow me, at J.R. Havlin. Opus is at Hey It's Opus. And as always, Katy Perry, at Katy Perry. That's with one T. Don't mess it up. Katy Perry is a terrible person. Now let's get back to episode 30 and find out yet more about what the Emmy Awards are calling the best comedy variety series on television. For now. Welcome back to the Writer's Block podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. I'm here with sportsman, Opus Moreski. That's me. Varsity. Indeed. I varsityed in sports. He's wearing his varsity sweater yep, right yep, now. Yeah. With any luck, he'll give it to me before he leaves. <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> yes. The courtship continues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about uh, preparing for interviews, which I think is uh, mm-hmm. uh, pretty fascinating. And the idea that, like, yes, uh, Colbert... Uh, probably uh, a bit more preparation as far as like actual questions written out mm-hmm. uh, for his character, which is part of the problem that you want to stay in that character. Yeah. And he does a masterful job from the beginning. He did a great job. I was like, wow, this, this is astonishing how, how he pulled that off. Yeah. And, and with John, um, our end of it is not so much. We sit down and write a couple of minutes worth of questions mm-hmm. for him and some funny things that we can figure out. He uses them, you know, usually uses at least one or two or yeah. something. But the rest is just him somehow reading enough of each of these books and things uh-huh. that he gives the interviews that he gives. I, I don't know. I've said this before. I'm convinced that guys like John, you might feel the same way about Stephen. They have somehow like a thirty, at least a minimum of a thirty-six yeah. hour day. Oh, absolutely. That I don't. That I'm not aware of those other twelve hours. I don't know how that works. I, I, <laughs> I'm honestly confused because I am exhausted. I work a lot, and I, uh, you know, there's a thing that came out in the New York Times that really, re- really kind of resonates with me, and it really, uh, it's, it's weird. When they did the, when they did the Super PAC thing, uh, a reporter came from the Times Magazine and talked to Stephen and all this other stuff, and he sat down for forty-five minutes to talk to me about my work on the Super PAC. And I was like, cool, New York Times, all right. And in the end, what it, uh, he was just fascinated with the process and how, how long it took and how intensive it was. And uh, asked me a lot about that. And, and what ended up in the New York Times from that 45-minute interview from me was just a one little sentence snip that said, uh, you know, that it's hard to have this job and also have a social life. But luckily, I don't have a social life, so it's never been a problem. Uh, that's the entirety of my, <laughs> of my, my example in, in, that, in that article. But it's kind of true and a little sad that it's kind of true. Yeah. And yet I work a fraction of what Stephen or John does. Seems, like, to, seems yeah. to do. And they have families and right. lives outside of work. And I, I, I don't know how, it, I don't, I, I think there is some sort of a, uh, Hermione Granger time, uh, time sifter. What is that called? I don't know. You got me on that one. All I, right. I've, well, I've, you know, I think don't I don't know your Harry Potter. You no, know, no, I stopped it. Uh, uh, I think there was there was there's more than one of them, right? There's, I believe, two. Yeah, there's at least <laughs> two. two. Uh, that's what I understand. Yeah. Is at least two, yeah. and then they all age like ten years, and then there's like a reunion. Yeah, it's like the real world road rules. That's they have a 
reunion, and then they, right. get, they all get in an RV and go and do like challenges across the country. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. And then they make out. Yeah. With <laughs> yes. that, and then they regret it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good times. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, what in your head is the main difference between The Daily Show and The Colbert Report? How, how, are, they, how are they different shows to you? Um, they, there's like three blocks difference in our <laughs> offices. It's true. Uh, I, I've never had to think about this before. It, it almost is so self-evident that it's hard for me to put the words. Um, like I, I'm sure you get this as well. A lot of people say like, how do you make sure you guys don't do the same thing? And it's the answer to me is like, well, it's, they're the daily show and we're Colbert and we're right. not going to come out at the same way. Um, so so it, like it seems so self-evident that we're different that it's hard for me to exactly put the finger on why. I mean, I guess it is. Well, I, th- I, I ask because I think like I think a lot of people probably see them as sort of this just yeah. a single entity mm-hmm. kind of thing, and uh, and yeah. there is a little bit of that. But when you look at like the Fox News schedule or something, mm-hmm. you've got a supposed news, <clears throat> news hour, and mm-hmm. then obviously opinion. an opinion hour, yeah. and that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, and we both, you know, both of the shows sort of stretch those those categories pretty readily but uh but yeah i would say that's the main thing in that in that uh when the daily show's at its best it is reflecting a mood in the country and looking from the from sort of the outside in going like what the hell's going on with washington or the media or whatever it is <laughs> what the hell's going on like, i have to remember that in a pitch <laughs> hey, i got a pitch hell? idea where john goes what the hell's going on and then we write some jokes i love the idea that when uh, now when we come back from our break the first thing you're going to see is uh, on, on monday is literally a piece called <laughs> what the hell's going, going on? on in washington lower third and then you're like damn you jr havlin uh but to put voice to those things is, is a very valuable thing and what we tend to do is is more put ourselves in the middle of it and, and be it rather than yeah. sort of comment on yeah, it. Yeah. I think like, uh, like this, like the daily show tells you, tells it like it is. And mm-hmm. the, and the Colbert of poor makes you figure it out <laughs> like, a little bit. Well, we just, we embody it and then you have to sort of go, Oh, okay. Like, because yeah, you have to he's so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, so immediately you put Steven's character in anything and, it, and that, that ridiculousness just oozes all over it. So if he's in a media environment or a political environment or a, a campaign finance environment, it just lays bare how ridiculous some of these things could be. Because of also just the opinion and the and the different style and stuff. Your you know your what you guys I don't know what you call them, but your kind of headlines. You mm-hmm. know the beginning of the show, him at the desk. You're talking about yeah. different stories or or one story or whatever it might be. Are definitely written in my opinion in a far more sort of monologue mm-hmm. style. Yeah. And you know we frame our stuff, uh, but it's more of like a a, a bigger framework that we then kind of go wherever we want within mm-hmm. whereas i feel like the way you guys address stuff is there's a kind of a single framing device that he really kind of sticks with yeah and uh, um it's really interesting and and to me intriguing i love the way it can go through and be a single thought yeah like, i mean we have whether it be structured stuff like the word or a, like a tip wag or like right. these segments that we do whenever we run into trouble it's because it's something that's feels like Stephen doesn't have a point of view or an, or an emotional opinion about something, you know. If he's just sitting there talking about things that have happened, we're not that good at that. That's right, but that's what that's one of the interesting things. You're not just talking about a certain story. You're not just saying here's mm-hmm. the setup and here's the punchline. We do the same thing on the Daily Show, and I think that's yeah. the case with any kind of quality writing in that respect. Is that it's not just the facts and a punchline. It's what is what does this mean to me? And yeah. obviously, that's where the big difference comes in because 
We're saying, what does this mean to us as mm-hmm. real people? Yeah. And then we'll figure out a way to kind of cleverly frame it. Yeah. Whereas you guys are just thinking, what does this mean to this wildly ridiculous character yeah. that we yeah. have? And let's keep it all within that. Let's keep it all within. And it's, it's tough because there are times that we come up with jokes that we just love and we're just sitting there like how do we reverse the polarity and yeah switch the batteries around and just try and make it in his voice because you can't actually say that thing that you really want to say ah fuck it i'll just tweet it uh (laughs) that's that'll happen yeah that's really interesting though i like that they that you have that struggle every once in a while to you have this joke that you love mm -hmm. a a thing that you want to do you just you have to make it so that steven's character is is supporting a certain yeah, thing supposedly yeah. but cutting it down at the same time in, mm-hmm. in that other layer yeah and it's just hard to get to it, it can be i mean it helps yeah. that the character praises people who go from their gut and don't do the research and don't, don't you know uh-huh. anti-intellectual so you can sort of give you can praise somebody who is you know kind of being a little idiotic by yeah. sort of giving them praise for that but it can be really hard and there are times there are plenty of times where you just can't figure out how to make a really good joke work with the character and then you just get sad and move on. Is it much different for you when you're writing the uh, Wag of the Tail and the Word? What's different about them and what's different about the, the, the way in which, as a writer, you approach it? Well, the Word is, it's a bigger argument that we're trying to make and we're trying to mo- usually trying to model something that's out there. And it's, it's, it's difficult because it, it requires not only sort of this perfect storm of like a news story that someone has said or done something that sort of exemplifies this bigger thing, and then you can build off of that comedically. So it's it's a very specific set of circumstances, which is why I feel like we, we don't do them as much as we used to. On top of all of that, we have the back and forth of like Stevens saying something, and then we have these bullets to the side of him that have their own jokes, and they have right. their own character, weirdly, yeah. and structure for their how they get... It's just, it's There's very many layers. So like that tends to be a bigger picture story. Uh, tip of the hat, wag of the finger tends to be smaller little things that we've seen. Was that uh, already a segment before you got there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that's because I was wanting to ask if that was But there are a couple of so... similar things where we've, that have been segments that have been created since I've been there, I've been a part of, um, you know, like uh, we have a segment. Yeah, called... let me know one of the, like, like yeah. let's pick a, pick a segment that you've been a part of creating that has become a regular segment. Sure. And tell me why, how did you arrive at that segment and why? Um, well, there's one called Thought for Food that uh, that myself and Peter Gross did the first one of, and I don't think either of us named it, but we sort of realized that there is an opportunity, um, and it sort of surrounds, all of our segments sort of, at, at some point, should be talking about something more than just something silly food that came out. And I think the first one we did for Thought for Food was around the time of the uh, double down sandwich of like two yeah. two uh, pieces of chicken instead of bread, which yeah. seems so quaint now. Like it seems like <laughs> a simpler time. Why can't we go back? When that was all we had. Um, but there was also, I believe, in that first one, um, a kitty litter uh, that was made out of corn. Like and and it all sort of tied into this idea that we have sort of structured our food system so drastically and everything is so like there's corn subsidies are making there's literally too much corn to like it, it's being made into you know, syrups and put into everything we eat. And then still there's too much corn. So there's biofuels. And now there's like, we have so much corn in this country. And, and you think about the amount of people that are, would love to have some corn in the world. Instead, we're like, hey, you know what? We could have our cats crap in this instead. <laughs> we could ship it off <laughs> to some starving people. Or, or you know, put in a box and have some cats crap in it. That would be fine. So the, that whole, the whole thought for food well, it's celebrating the ridiculous, like, overconsumption that our cult- culture has in food. And, of course, like, it's interesting because I think the way that you just 
kind of pitched that last story to me is not yeah. the way that you're going to have end up having to write it for Steven because it was, um, yeah. it was a little, it was, it was more judgmental of the mm-hmm. fact that that's happening. Whereas as he would praise yes. this decision. Yeah. He, he would praise somehow. the amount of, yeah, the amount of consumption, the amount like America is such a bountiful place that we would have all this stuff and that this is the way that we show how like powerful we are. You know? Right. So then how do you then include in that bit, the people who, could who who we could be shipping corn to like wh- yeah. how do you how do you shit on them indirectly i i i'm tr- i don't <laughs> well we let the cats do the shitting into the corn <laughs> um uh, i I'm, i don't recall exactly how it worked in that but i would imagine it would be something along the lines of like we are showing them what a great superpower we are we are showing them what a you know fantastic place we are so that they can they could come to them but we don't want them obviously please don't come to america but if they came to america they could be part of this bountiful uh plentiful world where we let our cats shit in our food yes not only would you have all the corn yeah that you so desire yes you would have enough to let your cat yes. shit in it and i'm assuming that being you know desperately poor starving mm-hmm. people in sub-saharan africa mm-hmm. that you have pet you, cats. You have cats yeah there's no question that you have cats. Well, well you look at the uh, mock-up of Africans <laughs> with cats. Yeah, yeah. I believe uh, most of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa is made up of cat ladies. I think that is <laughs> crazy. Just, cat ladies. Just, yeah, that's just the whole. Who just throw them at rebels <laughs> to keep them at bay. <laughs> I like that you guys have uh, a lot of musical guests on too. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. far more regular thing there. Um, you know, the whole Daft Punk thing was kind of an interesting thing, and and then of course Stephen takes that to its grandest kind yeah. of conclusion. And well, yeah, that is an example of uh, of the mentality that we try to have in the show. Is just like everything is a an opportunity. You know what I mean? Like we try to just take advantage of whatever is thrown at us. So, you know, the Daft Punk thing was, you know, we had this plan to actually have them on the show and they weren't going to perform and they weren't going to say anything and that was the bit it was going to be sort of disappointment comedy but we had a good comedy bit written around it and they had they had agreed to that they had agreed to that well they had offered the they, they we had been offered them or we went to them i don't know how it worked but and then throughout the course of dealing with them at first it seemed like well they're not going to talk even though they're going to be in their characters because their characters don't talk okay fine they also not going to perform because they don't perform and then we like moved okay and we figured out a thing to do with them and then yeah then they uh, canceled last minute through all the difficulties with the, you know, it seems like there's a lot of working parts and I don't want to point any blame, but the end result is we didn't have a show. And, but then we turned that into a show about how we didn't have a show. And but a lot with of guest stars galore, yeah, how did but, that all come together? Well, because when they were going to be there was going to be Steven sort of showing them how great they're like trying to get them to perform and then going into this music video of him dancing to their song, trying to show them how great and fun it would be if they performed. Um, and so we had a lot of that already set. And then when they didn't perform, that bit was going to be that Robin Thicke was going to be in the audience and sing his song instead. So we had that pre-tape already. So we just took all of that and and made it work for the new thing, right. which was better than if they had shown up, frankly. Isn't that the case? Like, you know, there's something about that urgency that can sometimes really cause you to yeah. come up with, with yeah. something good. Well, I had The heard... less time you have to think about comedy sometimes. Yeah. Oh, when I heard that morning, when I heard that morning that... Because there had been some back and forth and some difficulty... And and worries, you know, kind of murmuring in 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 the days ahead of time. But that morning is when it's like they might be dropped. They, they were in New York. We flew them out from Paris. They were in New York, but they might not. They might be dropping out. Um, and it, as soon as I heard that, 
in my head, I thought, oh, God, I hope they do, because it would be just so much funnier. Like, we were talking <laughs> about it, and he was reading these emails, which we ended up reading on the air about, like, his back and forth with the network and with the people. And uh, and they were hilarious, and, and it just everything was like, it would be so much better if they did, but I didn't say it out loud, because I didn't right. want to jinx anything or, or, or seem like I was wishing ill on anybody. But then they did drop out. I was like, okay, this is this is gonna be good. Nice. Yeah, and it was it was pretty phenomenal. It was a great. It was, it was a really fun thing to be a part of. Uh, every once in a while, you get that where like you get to look up and go, oh yeah, because I mean we're we're ridiculously lucky enough to do what we're doing, and then it by its nature is a job, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think uh, I think a good example for both of us, and I know how much you uh, enjoyed it by the fact that you were dressed like a giant bee or whatever yeah. it was, <laughs> yes. is the yes. rally to restore. Uh, sanity yeah and or fear and or fear yeah uh, and you know as much work as that was for everybody to put mm -hmm. together and what an epic kind of thing that was when it came down to that day and i don't know about you but we you know my wife and i was there mm -hmm. with my, my then my baby and we walked with a friend from the back yeah all the way up and kind of like mm -hmm. built the energy was kind of building that was what yeah. i wanted to do i wanted to see who was hanging out back here yeah and then it got more crowded and more exciting mm -hmm. and all kinds of things going on and performers and and protesters and all kinds of thing and then just you get up and you're just kind of experiencing this really kind of wild thing yeah and it wasn't until you get up to a point where everything starts slowing down and there are barriers mm -hmm. and you can't get past here that then you realize then you remember Oh right, I've got this pass, and I can go wherever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's how lucky I am. Yeah, because you feel like I felt like I was one of those, you know, two hundred thousand people that were excited to be there because yeah, I was excited to right. be there. I didn't. Uh, yeah, and then suddenly I'm like, oh, not only am I here, this is this is what I do. These are the people that came here to do what I. They had very funny signs and costumes and things, uh, which is you know comedy writing which is what we do like they wrote it on their signs yeah and they, right and then they traveled in from yeah Ohio and seeing or, all of those as you yeah. come in and saying well that's a good one that's, yeah, that's, that's a good, a good one, one. Oh, that's man. a good yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's good that one man eh, yeah. you know, that's okay but that's good and then you get up there and it's just so exciting and then you were there was it a bee is that what you it was a bee like, yeah. Uh, yeah it was <laughs> a, bee had a bee costume on so, for some reason so well <laughs> there was a reason explain yourself man okay so at, it was a day before halloween this our okay yeah and steven asked uh, on the air, you know, part of the games were like, you know, you, uh, uh, John was asking for people to do signs that were sort of in, in favor of sanity. And one of the games we were trying to uh, uh, get going uh, was people coming dressed as things that they were afraid of, like fears. Yeah. Um, which didn't, w wasn't as prevalent in the audience as, as the signs were. Uh, and so, with, you know, as the, with the writers, I was, you know, we were all saying, all right, we're going to do this. You know, this seems like the part of the thing. And, and so I, Decided just because uh, I had these things laying about because as one does has, mm -hmm. has like antennas just and, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, uh, yeah. and so in I your craft drawer in my craft drawer and I had like a nice I had like a suit on and then I just had uh, some striped uh, yellow and black socks and then the the deedly boppers and then the the wings so it was very easy just to walk over there in a suit and then strap those guys on and pull up my my, my pant legs a little bit to show this the... you so you are thankfully not the guy who wears that onto the subway on the no way no no not at all <laughs> think, yeah, but more sense than that it turns out that i was uh, a different fear that i didn't realize which is the fear of being the only guy in the office <laughs> dressed up for halloween which i think is a much deeper seated fear uh in most people is being like hey i thought we were all gonna do the Dressing up? To, no, I'm the only guy. Okay, whatever. Uh, well, you uh, faced it. I yeah, I said, and you conquered it. Yeah, what I'm, you know, at that point, what am I? Because you like were I, dancing around as you're wont to do, and yeah, as, and it was, uh, yeah, that was a really enjoyable thing. But that was definitely one of those moments where it's sort of like, 
You know, I agree with you. You you look around every once in a while, you get the opportunity to think, ah, oh, shit. It's like when you're waiting for the plane in the airport with your mm-hmm. Emmy the next yeah. morning, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is not just some kind of fantasy. This mm-hmm. is a pretty cool this thing. Is a thing that's happening. Well, congratulations. I did. You were you just went in like you were going to say something. Oh, just it just reminds me of waiting for the for the plane. This uh, for some reason, right after the metal detector, a bunch of people started talking to me as I was putting on my shoes, and one of them uh, was this little old uh, uh, Hispanic lady. It was like, you win the win it? And I'm like, yeah, I won it. And she's like, oh, what, what did you win it for? And I was like, uh, I was like, oh, it's a, the Colbert Report? And she's like, that's a thing? That was her question. <laughs> and then immediately after asking that's a thing, she wanted to get a photo with me. Oh, uh, like, yeah. You don't even know. But, uh, you know, of course, it was very it was very sweet. But uh, I, I do also enjoy those times when I'm feeling like, yeah, I'm the king. And yeah. then someone to be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, congratulations on Thank that. You. you know, well-deserved congratulations on uh, being named head writer. You guys do a fantastic job over there. And Thank you very much for coming by and talking to me. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, and uh, um, and dressing up. Uh, Am you I going to get someone's the... gotta? Do you... Yeah. What are you saying? That my V-neck undershirt um, is not yes, and appropriate. And your, uh, and your swim trunks, I think, are a little odd. It's an odd choice. <laughs> well, I need the netting help sure. me. Sure. Yeah, it's a support. I can't just wear uh, without netting. Would you prefer <laughs> it? No, no. I mean, please. The netting <laughs> is important. I want them to be as contained as possible. All right, let's wrap it up. Say, say good night, Opus. Good night, Opus. Well, that's it. That's Opus, a very friendly and very talented man. I hope you liked it. It was great to finally have him on the podcast. Thanks to David Klatt and Willie Orbison for their continued hands-on support. And thanks to you, Blockheads, for your continued ears-on support. Don't forget about NYC PodFest 2014, January 11th at Fontana's in New York City. Hope to see you there. As usual, thanks for listening. I'm J.R. Havlin. Say goodnight, Blockheads. Blockheads.